Now, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice saying, This is my son. The beloved, listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them not to tell anyone what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So from the cloud there came a voice saying, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. All right, I have a question. Who is God talking to? I mean, in the past, I've always assumed that God spoke these words about Jesus primarily for future generations, for the church, for us, and for everyone that would later wonder who exactly Jesus was. The purpose of this passage is to proclaim Jesus' identity. Who is this guy? He's the Son of God. And while that's true, this week I wondered if perhaps God's voice and words were also aimed specifically at Peter, who was standing with him there on the mountain, terrified and babbling about building plans or something. Because if God is speaking to Peter, that changes things. See, our reading this morning began with the phrase, six days later. And whenever we see something like that in the Bible, it's always worth looking back to see what actually happened six days later. And in this case, something big happened. Six days earlier, Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. And Peter, Peter was the one who said that Jesus was the Messiah, the one sent from God, the one they had been waiting for. So Jesus told them what being Messiah meant. He said that as the Messiah, he was going to suffer and die. That's where everything is headed. And Peter was so outraged by this, that he took Jesus to the side and lectured him and told Jesus that that could never happen. And in response, Jesus literally called Peter Satan and then walked out into the crowds and told them that to follow him, 
means to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to lose your life. So, are Peter and Jesus, like, fighting now? I don't know. Maybe. It sounds tense. I can't imagine that having the Messiah call you Satan is a great feeling or a good day. It's been six days since that happened. And that's the backdrop for this story on the mountain. Peter wanted a Messiah who doesn't suffer, who doesn't ask his followers to sacrifice or give anything. He wants all mountain and no valley, all glory, but no cross. And in response, there on the mountain, God says, look, this is my son. Listen to him. Our reading says that Peter was terrified. And for the record, I think that is a perfectly reasonable response when you're on a mountain and dead people show up and they start talking and someone you know is suddenly transfigured and wearing bright, sparkly clothes. But I think Peter is also scared about what all of this means. Because if, if Jesus is God's son, and God says that Jesus speaks wisdom and truth and should be listened to, then that means that all that stuff Jesus said about the cross and suffering and dying is true. And everything he said about his followers taking up their cross and denying themselves and losing their lives, well, well, that might be true too. And that is scary. See, up until now, following Jesus has meant mostly good things for the disciples. Witnessing miracles, having special access to Jesus, being part of the inner circle of a movement that was just taking off. But now Jesus is talking about a cost. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus predicts his death and tells the disciples what is coming. They're beginning to realize what's going on, where this is headed. Peter is starting to understand that following Jesus is not just unicorns and flowers. Following Jesus will come with a price. It will ask and demand something from him and not simply bring more prestige and fame and power. This is my son the beloved, listen to him. All of us are shaped by the things we listen to. When I was a kid, my mom constantly warned me to be careful who I was surrounding myself with. She knew that the things I heard would shape and form and guide not just my actions, but literally how I perceived reality. And it feels like as a nation, we're becoming more aware of this truth. Just last month, we saw how 
parts of the media and some of our leaders were able to use words in order to create an alternate reality that other people listened to and genuinely believed. And then we're able to turn that into violence. The media that we listen to, the the news that we listen to, the music we listen to, the voices we listen to, they all shape us in, in powerful and profound ways. Today we hear God telling us to listen to Jesus. And I wonder who and what you are listening to. Because there are so many voices in our world. And some of them have our best interests at heart, but many others do not. And some of them have good, righteous wisdom to share, but many others don't. It's impossible to ignore all the voices in our world that are offering guidance and wisdom and and their interpretation of reality and truth and and burying our heads in the sand and, and ignoring all these other voices shouldn't be our goal. Instead, it's worth asking, how can you make the voice of Jesus the most important voice in your life? and the voice that speaks loudest. Because one of the traps and temptations we all face is to allow other voices to dictate and determine how we hear the voice of Jesus, to allow our our political views or really anything else to determine and inform our faith. But today we hear that the voice and teachings of Jesus are meant to help us interpret everything else we hear. Our faith is meant to inform and determine our our worldview, our sense of right and wrong, our political views, and everything else. And that, man, that can be hard. Listening to the voice and teachings of Jesus is challenging. It certainly challenged Peter. I mean, talk about being formed by the things you listen to. Peter grew up constantly hearing that God would one day send a Messiah to save the Israelites. He was raised on stories of the promised one who was coming with force and power and military might and conquest and glory. Think about how these stories shaped him deep down in his soul. And now that the Messiah had finally come and Peter had lived to see it, now this Messiah was telling him that instead his mission was to suffer and to die. Jesus was telling his disciples that the way of God is the way of the cross. The way of God is the way of suffering and sacrifice and love that comes not in the form of chocolate and flowers, but love that is so deep it costs something. The way of God is is not conquering nations at the head of an army, but conquering hearts with love and grace. The way of God is not 
throwing down one's enemies in victory. The way of of God is gaining true victory by, by turning enemies into friends. The way of God is embracing death and despair and defeat and bringing forth new life and hope that can transform the world. And I got to tell you that even today, this is not the way most people view God. Most of us prefer the glory on the mountaintop much more than the harsh reality of the valley and cross that are waiting down below. There are still many who believe and who tell others that following Jesus is a nice, polite, inoffensive, safe, and comfortable thing that doesn't ask much of us or cost us anything. But Jesus tells us that following him means denying ourselves, means giving away our lives. It means picking up our cross. The truth is that listening to Jesus and following Jesus will always, always put us in conflict with the powers of this world who are satisfied with and benefit from the evil and injustice that maintain the status quo. There has been times when the church as a whole has been more concerned with not offending anyone than with embodying and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think we should be offending more people. Not because we like being offensive, but because we find so many of the things that are wrong in this world, racism, bigotry, sexism, the exploitation of others, xenophobia, greed, dishonesty, inequity, poverty, we find these things to be offensive to God. And so we discover that following Jesus will not always bring us to the mountaintop and shining moments of glory. We're called to follow Jesus down the mountain, back into deep and dark and demanding valleys. That's where Jesus will go right after this story because that's where the crowds are still waiting for him and they still have deep spiritual and physical needs. And that's the good news for us. Jesus didn't stay on the mountaintop. I'm sure part of him wanted to, to just bask in God's love, uh, free of the exhaustion, free from any worry, free from the crowds that were always demanding things of him, free from what was coming next. But Jesus refused to be turned away. He refused to be distracted from his mission. He refused to be a savior whose glory is only seen on a mountaintop in in blazing light. And instead, he remained committed to being a savior whose glory shines out as he hangs on a cross. And so he comes back down from the mountain. And as he does, that's where he's headed. He won't be turned back. 
He won't be deterred because it's there on the cross, not on the mountain, but on the cross. We are going to see his glory most clearly where Jesus is going to offer his life to tell us that we are forgiven and saved and free. Listen to him. Amen.